Good morning, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. Today is Sunday, April 9th, 2023, and my name is Melanie C., a recovered compulsive overeater living in Canby, Oregon. The share ID numbers for Friday, April 7th, 2023, are the following. The 7 a.m. Eastern Time Big Book Study share ID number is 20131, 20,131. And for the 10 a.m. Eastern Time Big Book Study meeting, the share ID number is 20136, 20,136. This morning, A Vision for You presents Spiritual Habits and Process, Cooperating with Our Creator. How come we are here today? Ask the question of ourselves. What brought us all here today? Not just today, but to a place in our lives that once was hopeless, seeking hope. What did we hear about addiction and 12-step recovery that convinced us we would be changed or in big book terminology, transformed? We hear about spiritual transformation. We hear about God. Some of us recoil, but we still come and we still stay. What will it take to be there? Spiritual habits? Pure and adulterated cooperation. Many of us know this as complete surrender, willingly and happily. The big book offers a plan for us as compulsive overeaters in the form of 12 steps. In the first two steps, there's an opportunity to admit and a choice to be made about power and spirit. The third step is a final decision based upon the choice. Make up our mind, which is our thinking, and a decision, which is action. We admit that we are powerless, little p. Proof of that is plain to see, looking around at the unmanageability at our own hands in our lives. The big book continues by suggesting that we, if we come to believe in a power, big P, greater than ourselves, we can be restored to sanity and manageability of the lives in our hearts and around us. There's hope and promise. To admit and to believe is a choice to be made by us. If we decide to believe with this choice, that proof is in the daily action we take upon the 12 steps, which is process, where our feet are. When we first arrive on the recovery scene, many of us have all sorts of conceived notions and experiences of spiritual practices. Yet soon we realize that we were doing the opposite of what we had wanted to do to get to where we wanted to be and not getting there. The process of transformation upon our lives cannot be accomplished until we fully cooperate meaning surrender our will and replace it with God's will. The ego will not let this happen, so it's intentional. We are now faced with that dilemma. Will we go further? And what proof do we have that we've gone further? It's daily practice. The food is down, neutral, yet to a great extent, we still are behaving unbecoming of a changed person. We have studied and have a lot of head knowledge, but as a, as a friend of mine's guide told him, We have a lot of information, but no transformation. The beauty of transformation is that it happens to us through application, which is an action word of the 12 steps, a faithful daily practice of the steps upon all our traits, disturbances, and fears, and it provides us the much-needed change 
to therefore live a life of abundance, which is pure spiritual service and joy. To dig in more deeply to this topic this morning, utilizing our much respected book of Alcoholics Anonymous as a guide and direction is our guest speaker. We haven't even scratched the surface until we have heard what he has to offer in this presentation today. The way of life, which is now one of spirit. Our guest speaker is an extremely loyal and devoted servant in the rooms of Overeaters Anonymous, always extending his hand and heart to the still suffering wherever he is needed. And I'm not sure that I've ever heard the word no or not now or timing is not good or some or trying or or try someone else this time because I can't. Not from this man, I haven't. His practice has become his way of living. Today, our guest speaker comes to us from the wonderful state of Illinois, but you'll find him all over the globe thanks to modern technology and air travel. A vision for you is pleased to welcome to the line this morning, Larry Kay. Good morning, Larry. Oh, Melanie, thank you so much. Gosh, I, I was taking notes as you were speaking. I really would prefer to do this with you, but okay, I'm going to do this. I, I wrote down your first uh, comment. By the way, I'm Larry Kay, recovered compulsive reader from Chicago. You said, uh, gosh, Mel, you said, why are we here? Yeah, that's a good question for me to ask. Why are we here? And you, you also beautifully intertwine cooperation and surrender. Uh, I, I love how you put those two together and that, you know, you spoke of hope and promise, which comes with choice and the daily actions as a process. And I, in big letters, I have intentional. You mentioned intentional. I just love what you had to say. Makes me want to just say, and now here's Melanie C. Because <laughs> I would love to hear what you have to say. But anyway, so I, again, I'm, I'm Larry Kay, and thanks, Mel, for that and all that you do. Uh, I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from Chicago, and I and I say recovered as an acknowledgement of what God has done for me. God has done for me what I could never do for myself. Um, any any positive changes within me, I know this morning. By the way, Happy Easter, Passover, whatever you celebrate, or just Happy Sunday. But any changes within me have come about really kind of what Mel was talking about through the intersection of God's grace and my cooperation. I'd say rather than defiance, because I know all about defiance. I'm going to talk a little bit. I'm, I want to let you know that I have a, a sponsor to help guide me. And uh, I'll, I'll say that my sponsor has a sponsor um, and so on. And and there's many, there's many Sherpas that, that God has placed in my life along the way. And it's, it's miraculous in my mind that God has chosen to use the hand of of these wounded yet, you know, transformed human beings to help other wounded human beings that are on the mend. And I, I certainly was on the mend and still can be on the mend. You know, Bill 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 said pass it on, right? And uh and there are people like Mel and many others that, that, that do pass it on. So what I, what I plan to do this morning, and I, Mel, I set my timer about 40-some minutes here, so we stick within our, our deal here. What I plan to do this morning is and take about, I'm going to take about 10 minutes to tell you a little bit about my story. I'd like to take some time to talk about the, also about the subject of spiritual habits as a process and the, the, the critical necessity of cooperation with the higher power. 
because that that's going to be the means to cultivating those spiritual habits for a lifetime because i i can't i it's hard for me to sustain anything for a lifetime you know how in the heck are we going to remain in this gifted recovered state of being imperfect right but how do we how are we going to do that so i'm gonna let you for you know you math people um i was born in november of 1965 so you can do the math pretty quickly there um, it was a crazy time in U.S. history, right? Two years prior to my birth, almost to the day, um, I was like historical context. JFK was assassinated in November of 63, just as some context. We were in the midst of the civil rights movement that I, that I love. And, and, and before I was even three years old, um, in, in 68, Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated. So, you know, there was political unrest. Um, you know, the Vietnam War was raging. There was, it was in the news on a daily basis. Now I'm just, just born, but I, I look back at history and there was, you know what? There was divisiveness in the country back then, just as much as you might see today in 2023. So <laughs> sometimes we can think, or I can think that, boy, are we divisive. No, there was, there was divisiveness and yet there was still God. There was a higher power. I just wasn't always connected to that. I have three siblings, and my parents were happily married until they weren't. Um, <laughs> they were divorced in 1973. My mother was uh, was and is a wicked smart woman. Um, there's some women on this line. One is toasting that reminds me of her. Um, very um, uh, sharp women started this Vision for You meeting and many others. Um, I later learned that my mother developed a fondness for amphetamines. Now, <laughs> that may put her in a poor light, that's not true. She was and is a wonder, she's still alive, a wonderful woman. But I'm pretty sure <clears throat> um, that as a result of her out of control weight, up and down and up and down, a lot of folks back then, um, you know, were, they were given diet drugs. Um, that was very common. And, you know, emotionally speaking, for a little boy of eight years of age, our home was not a particularly safe place to be. Um, my mother, you know, was, 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 was taking these, these diet drugs. She could be so warm and loving and kind. If you met her today, I, I tell people you'd love her. She, she, she's just a good person. She's sharp. She's warm. She's kind. Uh, she could be that back then in her in her 20s and 30s, but she could be angry and belligerent. Sounds like someone else I know pretty well, me. Um, <laughs> you know, a little bit less so today, thank you, God. But she could be angry and belligerent one moment. She could be warm and loving the next. It was very hard to predict. So we, we, we you know, we sought out a, I suppose she sought out a geographical cure in California. My, my mother um, uh, remarried pretty quickly. And in her defense, um, you know, she had no idea that, you know, my stepfather was going to, you know, going to be also spiritually sick, I would say. Um, she remained married to him for about four years. Um, that was a tough transition for me. My father, who was a pharmacist, had a business in Chicago. He, he, was, he was still here. We moved, you know, 3,000 miles away, two, 3,000 miles away. Canoga Park, California. And in the midst of all this turmoil, I was a scared, lonely, confused little boy. And somewhere along the way, 
around the age of nine or 10, back from California to visit my father. Uh, we would visit for, you know, during Christmas time, two weeks. I found what I still consider to be a miraculous solution to my fear and my loneliness and my confusion and all that nonsense. It was just, um, and, and, I, and I thank God that I found it too at that time because if I, if I had not found this solution, honestly, that I'm going to speak about, I, I may have become a suicide statistic. I don't recall having those, you know, ideation tendencies, but I, I, I look back and I think, my goodness, um, I, I probably would have become that. My dad was a pharmacist and he had a little store on the north side of Chicago uh, only Harlan and a few other people here would, if I said 3,700 North Cicero, they know exactly that that's at the corner of Cicero and Waveland Avenue. It wasn't much. It was <laughs> perhaps the size of a, a small 7-Eleven type store, you know, kind of a boxy kind of door filled with convenience things along with the pharmacy section, you know, near the front of the store. I could see it in my mind right now. Anyway, I, I couldn't have been much older than about 10, as I said at the time. And as I, as I mentioned, at this point, I was lonely. I was scared. I, I felt like everyone else got the manual for, for how to live. Um, I saw other kids and parents, you know, come and walk in through the, 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 the front door of my dad's store, and they seemed full of energy. They were smiling, joyful. They seemed confident. The kids seemed inquisitive, trusting, curious. I, I, not me. Um, I could have had, if I could have had a superpower at that time, more than anything, I wanted the power to be invisible. You know, please world, don't ask me anything. Don't engage me. I have nothing in my experience to suggest that this world is a safe place. I, I just wanted to hide from the world. I was terrified of people. I didn't want to meet them. It seemed to me that people with, you know, their eyes, they communicated the following to me. Don't come any closer. We have no interest in knowing you. You, you get the message. And it just took my breath away to, to, to get this perceived message. It was, it was a strong message coming out of their eyes. And it was my perception, perhaps, that, you know, what were they thinking about me? Probably not much of anything, but I was, I certainly knew what they were thinking about me in my mind. And as I went around, it was, it was as though, you know, no one wanted to know me. Remember, it was all created in my mind as we do. And, and just then the miracle happened. The miracle I was going to talk about. <laughs> it, in, in my misery of loneliness, I found what I still to believe an amazing solution. It was an unwrapped package of Hostess Ho-Hos in my dad's store. And I put one in my mouth and, and maybe this will make me, uh, you know, feel better. Nothing. I got, I got nothing. The world still was gray. And, it, and, and I hesitated a bit. I remember. And now I thought, well, you know, look, I'm not a quitter. <laughs> I'm a lot of things, but I'm not a quitter. So I finished the other Ho-Ho. Remember they and later they came out with three in a package. Remember those days, but this was two. Well, do you, so I finished that other ho ho. Do you remember the original movie, The Wizard of Oz? I mean, who doesn't, right? But the original, and ironically, it 
to me, ironically, a student of history. It came out in 1939. Does that year sound familiar? Same year the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous was published. You know, but I digress a bit. Anyhow, um, you remember how the movie starts out in black and white? And at some point, Dorothy and, you know, and some of the others, they're trapped in a monster tornado in Kansas. And the destructive power of that deadly tornado is devastating in the movie. You, do you remember what happens next? Well, Dorothy is transported from Kansas to the, the magical land of Oz. And, and the movie immediately shifts from black and white to technicolor, you know? And, and like Dorothy, when I ate that second ho-ho, I am convinced that my life transitioned it transformed from black and white to color in an instant. Now, here's the thing. So I turned around in my dad's little pharmacy store, and it was amazing. Holy smokes. Everyone wanted to know me. All of a sudden, people in my dad's store wanted to talk to me. They seemed to recognize my 10-year-old, you know, brilliance. <laughs> and, and finally, I had become popular. And the grown-up lady, I remember, that worked the cash register for many years, for the first time she wanted my, uh, you know, she wanted my help. And, she, and later she began, you know, I'm a 10-year-old kid, she began to share her life problems with me. I was a psychologist in the making, don't you know? And, oh, boy, am I ever a gift to humanity. Those ho-hos, boy, did they transform me. What a solution. I can barely stand how wonderful I am in that moment. And, and people were like begging me to be their friend, right? Everywhere I looked, people were trying to get to know me. Boy, how perceptions can be skewed, right? So that's it. Two ho-hos, and while it had no effect on me, it transformed you. It transformed the world into a wonderful, technicolor place that changed you into nice people. And I was going to meet everyone. <laughs> and I intuitively knew how to handle situations which used to baffle me. Sound familiar? It was as if the sweet, you know, kind of chocolatey ho-ho removed every fear I ever had, every bit of mistrust I ever had. Loneliness vanished, you know, in an instant. It was like being released from prison. It was freedom for the first time. I only had two ho-hos. But for the first time, I had arrived. You know, I'm turning those big book quotes, right? There's lots of paradox. There's lots of imbued in the big book and in my life as I look back. And, and so now, you know, in the midst of my coronation back then, right, where I was comfortable in my own skin as never before, well, someone, I don't know, someone conveniently, conveniently you know, forgot to tell me that at some point, some point, pretty quickly actually, my world would turn black and white again. And I know a guy that says, yeah, about nine seconds or ten seconds. It's gonna, well, I don't know what it took, but it turned black and white again, believe me. And so I did what any reasonably logical person would do in my, you know, in my dark state as it turned black and white again. I mean, if two hostess ho-hos could do, could change, could do that, I wonder what Ken could do. 
I busted out more snacks, and then I began to experiment with other things that can make me awesome again. I felt like, for example, I found that Snicker bars worked, and you know there was a the Kit Kat and Susie Q's, remember those, and anything ending in you know O's, Doritos, Fritos, Cheetos. They all worked. They all brought me. They brought color back into my world. And all you know, all that eating made a little boy sick. You know, I mean, I mean. Physically, the, the, the digestive system was, wasn't made for handling all that sugar and, 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 and junk. So not to get too graphic, but I'm in the, I'm in the bathroom. I'm in my dad's store. I'm not feeling so good. And I remember the thought occurring to me. Are you going to eat more of, of that stuff again? Of course I am. Of course I am. This horrible stomach ache is a small price to pay for what I experienced earlier, that color. You know, you can't put a price tag on a colorful world with a yellow brick road and all that stuff. So you can see I, I had been compulsively eating like that for one, you know, for I'll go to any lengths to keep on eating. Whatever it costs me, I'll be glad to pay. That's how important my alcohol foods were. And it isn't, you know, that important to a social eater. They wouldn't risk horrible stomach cramps to keep eating, but I would. I don't know if you would. I would. And the reason I'm a compulsive overeater is because of that transforming experience that food caused. That made me realize I had found the secret to life. And as long as I had this in my possession, and I never ran out of it, I was ready for the future. You know, that, that stuff, that, that food, it works. It really does. Until one fine day, it didn't. You know, where, where, where's the color? You know, where's the color? What happened to the yellow brick road? And I was in trouble way before I knew it. In fact, I was in trouble years before I knew it. And as time went on, I'm in debt, I'm fat. My emotional and physical health is in shambles. I can't maintain an intimate relationship, an intimate friendship, but boy, am I having fun. You know, like, it's this craziness. And the big book tells us this disease is progressive. They tell us it's permanent and ultimately fatal. And that's a, that's a real understatement. And I was circling the drain through my teen and early adult years. So eventually I poured myself into other diversions. And, and one of the diversions that I poured myself into, like many of us, wasn't too bad, really. It was education, because that was a nice diversion. <clears throat> I got really educated yeah, on paper, on paper. I wasn't too smart, you know, in, in, in other ways, I later found out. But on paper and regurgitating information that was presented to me and, and articulating it in papers and all that stuff. Oh, I could, I could play that. I could put that mask on and do that. But, you know, eventually, even in marriage, you know, I'm going to seek the normality that I thought, you know, being married, what a perfect, you know, what a perfect partner I would make, right? And on and on and on this disease went. It was progressive indeed, right? And I, and I was eventually brought to my knees by this disease. I didn't know what to do, but I'll tell you who did know what to do. God knew what to do. I didn't know what to do. And uh, that's the miraculous nature of God's grace. 
So I'm going to talk just a, a briefly about, uh, so I qualify, I qualify. Um, I'm going to talk briefly about the notion of developing habits because that's going to be one of the keys as a process as Mel was talking about. I'm going to start by introducing a metaphor. You know, developing habits um, is sort of like planting seeds in a garden. Now, I, I don't know about you, I, I don't have a particularly green thumb. So I'm no expert on gardening. I like the metaphor, but I'm no expert on gardening. I do throw the, 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 the oatmeal out to the ducks, but I guess that's not gardening. I like to throw that out there and see, you know, what happens there. But, but I would imagine that it's going to take some consistent care in nurturing if I want the seeds to grow into, you know, some sort of, a, you know, flourishing vegetable garden, right? <clears throat> so we're going to need, <clears throat> excuse me, we're going to need water. We're going to need the right amount of, of sunlight and shade, as the case may be. And I better regularly inspect my garden for weeds, you know, different bugs, et cetera. What am I doing? For example, could we say that part of nurturing that garden, I guess in some ways, it, 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 it includes a process of uncovering the barriers to progress, right? Discovering or discerning what's helpful, helpful to the garden, what's harmful you know, regularly just, you know, discarding what's damaging. So let, let, let's assume we have this disease. We've got the allergy. We've got the double whammy. We've got the allergy of the body, and we've got the twist of the mind, the, the mental obsession. And if that's the case for you and I, the big book tells us emphatically our, our only way of overcoming, the only shot we really have, our only way out of this progressive disease is to have what they refer to as a spiritual awakening. And by the way, in the big book, a spiritual awakening is also synonymous. It's referred to as a, a psychic change, a personality change, a spiritual transformation, you know, change. Not just any change, but a revolutionary change. There's got to be a revolutionary internal shift in all my thinking, ideas, emotions, and attitudes. So, you know, what becomes abundantly apparent if we're going to get well, if, I, if I'm going to remain well, I've got to engage in a spiritual program of action, as Mel was talking about. It's going to have to be ingrained. And let's be clear. Let's, let's not <clears throat> water down the process by which this spiritual awakening is going to unfold. You know, what the, what the co-founders and pioneers of AA found through their own experience, was that the way they were lifted from this bitter morass, the, 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 the way they were saved from the quicksand that stretched all around them was through the implementation of the 12 steps. So it's, it's through the implementation of the 12 steps, sequential in nature, as what? As a habitual process of spiritual action. And that is going to result in access to power. And again and again, the big, the big book is going to lead me to a, a certain conclusion. And that conclusion, irrespective of what I believe about that power today, at, at, at this particular moment, doesn't change the fact that my solution is access to power, forming a workable relationship with that power. Jew, Christian, Muslim, atheist, agnostic, it doesn't matter. We're all, we're all children of this higher power. And in fact, in chapter two, 
in the chapter entitled, There is a Solution on page 17, the last paragraph, you know, informs me. It says the tremendous fact for every one of us, every single one of those, those early pioneers, is that they had discovered a common solution, the implementation of some steps. They had a way out on which they could absolutely agree. They, they even joined in brotherly, sisterly, harmonious action. There's that word action again. And this is the great news the book carries to those who suffer from alcoholism. For us, for, for, you know, with, with, with our compulsive overeating. And so I thought coming in, well, goody for you. <laughs> you know, like, goody for you pioneer nut jobs from the 1930s. This sounded way too much like poetic nonsense to me as I was drowning in the misery of this disease. You know, that I, that I, that I wasn't even convinced I had. This is perhaps the only disease, which we learn centers in the mind rather than the body. This is the only disease that's out to convince me that I don't have it. A diabetic doesn't have any, you know, uh, someone who loses a leg, someone who's got stage whatever cancer, they don't have to be convinced they have it. They could be in some degree of denial, but they don't have to be convinced. This disease convinces me I don't have it. So, so here we are, right? Here we are. And um, I want to, uh, you know, just mention that the instinct for self-preservation for me, has to be replaced by the passion for a higher power. In other words, I, I must let the self be annihilated. And that doesn't mean the self, I mean, you know, like that I have to die, you know, as a, as a human being. No, but this, this self-centeredness has to be annihilated in, or, in order that I may become a spiritual person. But once I have, you know, once I have to let go of my fear of God, my fear of change, my fear of creative growth, my fear of, of, of not being in control, even my fear of death itself, I'm going to find, you know, selfish desires undergoing a radical change. And in this new changed way of life, you know, my old selfish desire is going to have to be transmuted. It's going to have to be changed into a passion for that which is good, a higher power. That's what I found in my life. And, and you know, I was thinking, if there was such a thing as a perfect OA meeting, and, and let's agree <laughs> that there's not, but just for the sake of argument, you know, this morning, what, what would it be like? Well, it'd be filled with the spirit of the new. It would be filled with the uninhibited and the fearless in the face of, of our fear. Everyone would have, you know, kind of stripped off their masks and disguises. So difficult for us. But, you know, they, they, they stripped the mask off so that you could see these people for who they truly were, you know, who they truly are. And there would be a spirit of divine calm where conflicts healed themselves in this meeting. You know, and the knots in, in our stomachs become untangled and everyone, you know, sort of, you know, everyone present could relax and feel true peace in the midst of whatever calamity, whatever challenges they're going through, right? They would have that peace. Wouldn't that be cool? That, that would really be cool. But, you know, well, the 12 steps when practice is a way of life, what happens is what I've seen in my life 
is I become untethered from self. And we form spiritual habits. And, and as Bill, Bill you know, alluded to, these spiritual habits allow us to experience sort of incremental freedom from the bondage of self. You know, I, I, I often think about the early Oxford group, which gave rise to, you know, what, beca- what became of, of, you know, AA, and they had these absolutes, right? And we hear these absolutes, uh, absolute love, absolute purity, absolute honesty, absolute unselfishness. And, 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 and if you know something about history, then, you know, the, the early AAs, they, they kind of broke off. They, they don't want absolute anything, right? It, 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 it reeked of perfectionism because they put the word absolute before it. But in my mind, you know, no, there's no perfection, but there is striving towards an ideal. So it's not a, I don't know, to use you know, the word sin, to use the word perfection or absolute, right? It's something we strive for that we may never attain, but, but then in the midst of striving, we end up in the stars. We don't reach the stars, but we're, we're, we're closer to the, you know, we're striving towards that ideal. So it doesn't offend me, really. But anyways, absolute love, absolute purity, absolute honesty, absolute unselfishness. That was terrifying to someone like me who just kind of settled for just getting by. You know, just getting by with what? Just getting by with a minimum, you know, kind of mechanical, surface-oriented morality. I know this isn't about, you know, becoming more, you know, moral, but you know what I mean? Like, like just, yeah, I'll just sort of get by, you know, and then I'll look around for evidence to support my prevailing view. I see other people being dishonest and angry and distrustful and all that. So if I could just, you know, it's okay. So I'm terrified, you know, of absolute anything. And so it gives me, the permission I need not to strive towards those things. And we're talking about process and we're talking about developing better habits. Pretty simple things in, as a concept, right? So here I am, you know, absolute honesty. What are you talking about? I mean, I mean, you know, talk about step six, entirely ready, you know, to have these, these defects of character removed. I don't know. Dishonesty serves me pretty well. Keeps me, keeps the masks on, keeps you only seeing the good in me, in my mind, anyway. Keeps you, you know, so uh, absolute honesty. Really? How's that going to work? See, when I, when I cling to the finite, I'm terrified by this vision of the infinite. That's why in our, in our, in our steps, you know, where are we placing our trust in our finite selves or in this infinite higher power? that I may not be able to see in any tangible sense, although I find much later that I can see God in a tangible sense through you. But I'm terrified about this vision of the infinite. And so I will repeat the same things over and over, you know, terrified by what? By the revolutionary change. I'm frightened to the core, to my depths by any sort of true creativity, any, any sort of, you know, novelty uh, of change. To the depths of our being, we fear change. That's why there's people on the line, no judgment, believe me, because I was one of you too, and it still can be. There are people on the line 
that fear something as simple as putting the food down. What's going to become of me? How will I cope? What will I have to look forward to? What will my life become? You know? And so perhaps I would suggest that perhaps the fear of the, at the bottom, at the core of each individual is that of recognizing himself or herself as a child of God. The true higher power appears and, 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 and offers us help and, and sort of this ability to be a son and a daughter. And we shut our eyes and I put my fingers in my ears and la, 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 I do not hear you. And I run away as fast as I can, as fast as I can run. And I resist being pulled from the quicksand because I'm too scared of becoming a, a spiritual person myself. I am imagine this, I'm scared of God's divine light shining within. What will I become? You know, it scares the crap out of me. And I mean, and, and I get why you seem to rely on this infinite God fantasy, but I'm not going to be hoodwinked. I'm not going to be made into a sucker. I'm giving you my thoughts early on that I did not voice. Now bring me a donut, <laughs> and I'll stick with the fear I know versus the dreadful fear, you know, that I don't know. Thank you very much. And then Bill, of course, spoke about the corroding threat of fear as well as resentments as the number one offender. And uh, in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, the fourth step, for example, was an inventory of our resentments and our fears, harms and others. You know, and the 12-step program teaches that these are, the, the fears and the resentments are two things which cause all the truly unbearable human pain and suffering. And in the big book, um, Bill told us, in 1939, he told us that fear was an evil and corroding threat. The fabric of our existence was shot through with it. This fear arose, he said, because the self got in the way. Our attempts at total self-reliance, turned us away from God, and what did it do? Well, ultimately it made our fear grow even worse. And so trying to live on the principle of selfishness and self-interest produced kind of a, what I would say is sort of like a, I don't know, like a soul-destroying fear, and eventually cast us down into the, you know, into my own inner hell, which is living in my skin. Terrifying. So for me, I... What I learn is as, as a process and as I develop these habits that I'll speak about in a moment, because they're not terribly complex, I have to ultimately embrace my own feeling of soul sickness. I have to embrace that I have soul sickness if I wish to engage in positive spiritual growth. And what's going to happen to me comes about, as we talk again and again in Vision for You, we're not creating something new. It's, 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 it's getting back to the basics of step-by-step -step spiritual growth occurs in a series of discrete steps, practices a way of life, accepting God is all powerful, but, well, but God, here's the thing, back to the cooperation. God is not going to work on me until I give him my consent. Imagine that, that I, I, God has given me the ability to not give my consent. Why would he do that? I'm using he, right, because I have to use words. Why would she do that? 
could you, could you just don't give me consent. Make a robot out of me. No, that's not, sorry, not the script that was chosen. I can not give my consent. I can not cooperate. I can defy. And I can run away. And so what the brilliance of the 12 steps in my mind is, is identifying each piece of selfishness, cowardness, dishonesty within me, and let God change me and heal me. And this happens not so much in an instant for me, but, it, but it, it's an incremental process, customized for each of us, depending upon where we are. I believe, like I try to exemplify this, love people where they are. Can you imagine a God that loves you right where you're at? Can you imagine you loving someone else right where they're at? So I'm going to need things like patience, grit, determination, if I'm going to allow God's grace to unfold. And I'm going to use an example in my life to help illustrate. And I'm going to, before I do that, I'm going to take a look at my little clock here. Melanie, see, I have 11 minutes. Okay, let's move along, buddy. Um, maybe less than that. Uh, so here's a, it, it, let's, so with this example, let's agree on a premise. And we, let's, let's agree on a premise. In order to have any type of sustainable, intimate partnership in one's life, intimate partnership, let's just agree on the premise that we need the capacity to trust and be vulnerable. Is that, is that fair? You've got to be able to trust and be vulnerable. Okay, good. We agree. <laughs> See the hands? Not really, but, but, but here's the thing. How can I trust? How can I unmask and be vulnerable? See, life taught me some harsh lessons as a little boy. Here's what I was taught. Trust no one. Stay hidden and isolated. Stay off the radar of others if you want to survive. You show sadness and vulnerability, someone's gonna, someone in authority is going to crush you. It's going to hurt you, and that's very painful. Now, how does that part of me become healed? So you know what did work to help me to survive? Food. <laughs> Hershey bars worked. It quieted the fear. It made me comfortable in my own skin. I talked about that. It made the world and the people in it a little less scary, brought color to my world. You know, remember what Dr. Bob told Bill about his own fears as an adult? And on page uh, 155 in the big book, he, he, Dr. Bob was, was suffering, right? And he, he said, uh, I quote him, a spiritual experience he conceded was absolutely, well, I'm quoting Bill. A spiritual experience he conceded was absolutely necessary, but the price seemed high upon the basis suggested. He told, we're talking Bob here, he told how he lived in constant worry about those who might find out about his alcoholism. See, Dr. Bob thought few knew of his obsessive drinking. I didn't think people, here I'm walking around, you know, 280 pounds or whatever I am, and I don't think anyone knows I got a problem with food. <laughs> food that's Delusion is pretty, uh, pretty amazing, isn't it? Same with Dr. Bob. And then he goes on to say why he argued should he lose the remainder of his business only to bring more suffering to his family by foolishly, foolishly admitting his plight to the people from whom he made his livelihood. He would do anything but that. Can I relate? Of course I can relate. 
You know, of course I can relate to that. I did the very same thing. The mask seems safe. Continuing to drink for Dr. Bob seemed the way to go. Continuing to eat for me. And look, I can get into other things, drinking, pot, all those things. I have experiences with all those things. They all have a numbing effect. They all bring a little color to my world. They all make life bearable a little bit more. And they all move me closer to another Hershey bar as well. So let's get to some spiritual habits. Here comes the complexity, not really. How about the golden rule? We treat others as we wish to be treated. I was talking to my sponsor. He was just giving me some summarizes, you know, about habits. Treat other people as you wish to be treated. Return calls. You know, what, what the heck is recovery if not treating other people as you wish to be treated? In a spiritual way of life, we treat others as we wish to be treated. We return calls. We, we, we return emails. There's someone in line saying, well, great, Mr. Big Shot. What about the email I sent you? <laughs> I will say I'm sorry. I'm not perfect, but I strive. I strive uh, to do that. And um, and so we, we 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 develop. You know, when we look at the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, there's a set of guidelines and there's principles that any habit that we develop, right? There are any habit. Um, positive habits, because it would be negative habits, biting my nails wouldn't particularly be a positive habit, it's a negative habit. Positive habits become ingrained through a combination of what? Repetition, consistency, some, some degree of reinforcement. I got, I've, got to, I've got to maintain some motivation over time. And this process, as Mel talked about, often involves several stages and different things. Like I, I you know, I have to look at these things, and there's principles, you know, just basic, simple principles behind each step that we've come to know. Honesty, hope, faith, courage, integrity, willingness, humility. That's a tough one. Love. What is it? Justice, you know, perseverance, service, some of these things. And remember, these are principles that are the framework, the process by which that us as individuals can interpret and apply them in ways that work best for us and give us access to this power so that we can live and we substitute the food for this relationship with God, which to someone who's in the food who just, you know, had their they're eating their food right now as they're listening, you know, and that, cause that was me. I, I know you're out there. That's me. Or they're going to eat. It's Easter, Passover, whatever, and they're going to eat, right? They kind of know it. They're scared of it. This sounds like, uh, like I'm speaking in Mandarin. But what happens is as positive habits become ingrained through this repetition, as I mentioned, the consistency, the reinforcement, and we get this. We get this through the program. Now, you know, I have to look at things like commitment and motivation. And like, if I look at commitment and motivation, having a strong motivation for adopting a habit and being committed to the process makes it more likely that I'm going to stick with it long enough, you know, for it to become ingrained. You know, I'll take off my 12-step my, my hat for a moment and, and put on another hat and say that, you know, 
habits don't happen just because I want them to happen. Remember when you first started driving a car? You might have been 16, or some of us came a little bit later. I was 16. You know, two hands on the wheel, 10 and 2, right? Okay, there's the gas on the right and the brake on the left, but I got to do it both with my, my right foot. Am I staying in between the, the, you know, the lines of the road? I'm watching. I'm very vigilant and making sure. I'm, it's, it's a thinking process. I've got to think my way through it. It's, 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 it's awkward. Now, fast forward to 2023. You've been driving for decades. Do you even remember how you got to your last destination? <laughs> like, I mean, I mean, and now you got GPS and you got all these, you know, you got this God positioning satellite or what, you know, you got this, whatever it is. But you don't even think where your hands are. You don't think about your foot moving from gas to brake. You don't think about any of those things. You can barely remember how you got. It's become habitual. There's some muscle memory. And how did it become so? Repetition. Trust, a faith. You saw other people. Maybe, maybe, maybe you've got a, a, a driving uh, group that you go to, <laughs> probably not, like a 12-step meeting. You got some support. Well, you see other drivers around you every day, you know, and, 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 and it just becomes, and you don't remember. Do you remember the day that happened? Did you get a coin the day that you felt comfortable driving? Did, it, did, did we get up and clap for you? No clapping. No, we were just, it just happened over time. You don't even know when it happened, but it did. And, and thus, same thing with this. And yet, maybe driving, we don't recall it being painful, particularly painful. It wasn't necessarily an addiction. I understand that. But at the same time, it has that same sort of, of thing. So we, 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 through routine and repetition we, and, and consistently performing the habits. We, so every time my sponsor returns a call, he's doing it as much for him as for you. It, it, it may be drudgery at times. When we sponsor other people, that becomes habit forming. When we apply the golden rule, when I, when I try to be honest when I don't need to be, really, I can get away. I'm a, I'm a get away with kind of guy. You know, and it still can rear its ugly head at times. But when I practice honesty, it becomes habit forming. When I do you know that you think love is just, uh, well, we, we've heard that love is patient, love is kind. Remember that, you know, that reading. And um, it's all those things. But how do you love? Just by doing it. Lo lo loving others when, when they don't deserve it. <laughs> I guess we all deserve love. But loving others when they don't, you know, practice that. Habitually, doing this right now is, trust me, I don't know if I'm helping anybody. I have no clue. But I'll tell you one person that's helping. My dog, Cherry. No, it's helping me. It's helping me because I'm reiterating and exemplifying and trying my best to practice service. And, I, and I'm talking about things, and I'm going to feel good when I get done. And I don't know what's being broadcast out to someone else and how it's being interpreted or what you think of me or if you think of me at all, or if there's 10 people on the line or a hundred, I have no clue. And in a certain sense, it's me, it's become habit forming, you know, and it's all God's handiwork. It's all that, that, that habit forming stuff. And it doesn't happen overnight, but it does happen. 
as long as we have willingness and cooperation. So as I look at my timer here now, Mel, and see where I'm at. Uh, let's see. Oh my God, 7.65. <laughs> okay, here's what I'm gonna close now. Here's what I'm gonna close. Because I can just go on and on and on, and that's not what we want here. My timer just went out. So I wanna end with this. And then we can open up the Q&A. Um, one quote from the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous that captures the essence of recovery for me. And it says on page 59 in the chapter how it works. But there is one who has all power. That one is God. May you find him now. That, that quote highlights the spiritual foundation of Alcoholics Anonymous, this program for me. It, it, it emphasizes the importance of seeking a connection with the higher power. And the other one is a quote um, that, that captures the essence of hope. Mel talked about hope. And it says on page 83, I'll close with this, chapter 6 into action 83. It says, we will comprehend the word serenity and we will know peace. No matter how far down the scale we have gone, we will see how our experience can benefit others. See, this quote reflects the hope that through recovery, through the process, through these habits, individuals can find peace and serenity and that their experiences, regardless of how painful they might have been, I've had some painful ones, but they can be used to help others in their journey towards sobriety and healing. And I'll close with this. I'm going to see my 80-something-year-old mother today, God willing, right? And that was my biggest resentment. That was the woman that I couldn't, I couldn't be around without a Hershey bar at the ready. Just couldn't. And today, oh, thank you, God. Today, see, I can be around that person and, 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 and truly, truly uh, love her where she's at. And she loves me right back. And what a miraculous thing. What a miraculous thing this is. So with that, I am going to pass. Thanks, Mel. Thank you very much, Larry. Your personal story that was woven throughout this presentation just took me along visually. I'm seeing this young boy vividly with true identification. I could have been your teenage neighbor for sure in the process and the habits that we form in fellowship here with one another and accountability brings about a life that we had only dreamed about, right, Larry? Only dreamed about. Thank you so much. You've given so much of yourself. Be sure and, and know that we will ask Larry K for his contact information at the conclusion of this meeting. So stay with us till the last moment and listen for that. The share ID for today, Sunday, April 9th, 2023 is 20139-20139. So the lines are now open for questions. If you have a question for Larry Kay, please unmute your phone by pressing star one on your phone keypad. Offer your first name, the first letter of your last name. And once you've asked your question, would you please remute by pressing star one again? Who would like to ask Larry a question this morning? Diane B. Nadia B. B. I got Nadia B. Shannon G. Shannon G. Is that what I hear? Yes, G is in George. Got it. Thank you. Felicia S. Felicia F. Thank you. Yeah. Uh huh. Thank God at that time. Loretta H. Loretta H. 
Somebody else I just heard. Dana P. Dana P. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Who else? Jerry M. Jerry M. Let's go with that list for now and then see what happens with time as we go along. I have Diana B. first with a question, and Nadia B., you'll follow Diana, or Diane, rather. Hi, Diane. Good morning. Good morning, Melanie. Hey, Larry. This is Diane B. calling from New York. Thank you both for your service. My question today is, is there such a thing as perfect abstinence? Okay. Um, thanks. Hey, Diane. Nice to hear you. Hey, Larry. Um, so, question. Hey, um, the question is: There's such a thing as pers- uh, perfect abstinence. Well, abstinence. Uh, OA has a definition for it. I'll, I'll just, you know, abbreviate it by saying um, it's what I refrain from. It's what I refrain from. So we think of it in terms of, you know, it's compulsive use from food. So is there a perfect? I'll, I'll re- reframe it as it. Is there a perfect? Uh, um, you know, plan for what I refrain from. And um, in a sense, while I'm not a big fan of the word perfect, you know, but I will say that over time, and it's changed a bit over time, the clarity of what I need to refrain from has changed over time. And I've had ups and downs with different things. There are people on the line that know that. Um, I've been very honest about that. But what I will tell you is, there are things that trigger the phenomenon of craving. There are things, you know, Diane, that are just too darn exciting for me. They talk to me in a sense, right? And that is different from, you know, from other things. You know, so the food and the food behaviors, um, you know, I'll give you a contrast. There's no question that uh, sugary dessert items and salty, savory, crunchy things, for example, I'm using food is what some certain things I refrain from, uh, trigger the phenomenon of craving. And then because I have a second element, the twist of the mind, the mental obsession. So I've got to get, I've got to develop clarity. I've got to concede to my innermost self, even before step one, really, of what I've got to, you know, build some understanding around that with help from you guys. And some testing. Oh, testing, one, two, three. I had to test. I had to test some things. Um, but I'll even talk about a behavior that was erroneous. I thought, my goodness, the Chicago Bears, I need to refrain from watching the Chicago Bears. And you said, why in the world would you need to do something you love? Because I thought that I made the erroneous connection that I tended to binge eat like crazy when I was watching the Bears game. So I'm going to make logical sense to my brain. That was not true at all. That was not true at all. I can eat uh, my abstinent uh, meals, you know, if I'm watching a Chicago Bears game and it does not trigger the phenomenon of craving by watching the Bears game. Um, For me, someone else may say yes. I can eat in a car. It's not my preference, but I can. If, If I have a good reason for doing it, I can do that. And I made, so I made certain connections early on that were erroneous, they were incorrect, but I didn't know that for a time. So in answer to your question, I think over time, we come, if we're honest with ourselves, we come to a conclusion of what those things that trigger us, and even quantities of food and those types of things, and I need good help along the way. I need a nutritionist 
I need, you know, honesty is such a, it, 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 it parallels with the first step. If I can't get honest about the stock and trade here, not only about my character defects, but about what's going on with the, the food and so forth. So um, I won't be open to good suggestions from others. So I, I hope that makes some sense, although I'm not answering it directly, but I think it, it gives some sense that I think we can move in a direction of, of, of a deeper clarity, deeper understanding, Diane. I hope that helps a bit. Thank you very much, Diane B, for your question this morning. Next up is Nadia B with your question, and then Shannon, you'll follow Nadia. Good morning, Larry and Melanie. Thank you for your service. Nadia B, recovered in Connecticut, thank God. Um, my question is also about perfection. Um, you touched on absolute honesty, absolute um, unselfishness, absolute, I think, purity of heart and, and absolute love. And um, I, I, I was wondering, how is that, um, I hear it, in God's timing? Could you share a little bit of your experience on what that timing is like for you? How long has it been? How long does it take to develop this? When does God step in and takes you to this, you know, where you can feel it in your heart and act in absolute, um, you know, in, in those absolute perfect um, things? Like, you know, when I think about absolute honesty or love, it is such a hard thing to do. <laughs> so that's it my is. question. Yeah, it is not. We talk, oh, my dear Nadia, we mm-hmm. talk about that. And it's, um, yeah, we both, you know, struggle with some of those things. I don't think we're alone there. I don't think we're alone there. Um, I want whatever recovery is, you know when I want it? Yesterday. <laughs> I, want it. I want it, you know, tomorrow at the latest. I'll even give God, I'll give God, you know, a few days. You know, I'm a patient man. But, but you know, the, the truth of the matter is all in God's time and all, can I begin to see the paradox in the fact that while I'll never be perfect, I can certain nothing prevents me, Nadia, from striving towards something. Striving towards something, you know. God, for me, God is perfection, that which I will never be. But what a great example for me to strive. I see the stars, Nadia. And I look up and I see the stars and, oh, you know, sometimes, I, I, boy, I want, like to be right there in the midst of the stars, you know, and, um, and I can strive towards it. What am I striving towards, I think, is one good question for me. You know, am I, so with honesty, for example, by way of example, <laughs> honesty, for example, by way of example, um, the, you know, uh, I'm a human being. In, I'll, I'll, you, without getting too particular, I'll, you know, there, there was someone I wasn't being honest with about what was going in my life. I can evaluate and I can say, why? Why? Why wasn't I? Should I have been? Well, certainly, sure. You want to be fully transparent. But I felt threatened. It's not to blame the other person. And that other person could be work, could be relationship, could be anything, right? I, I, I felt that, uh, threatened. I felt very vulnerable, not a particularly comfortable place to be. So I lied through omission, right? I lied through omission. I left it out. 
and then I justified and rationalized. So we can do those sorts of things. But when I do those things, as my sponsor likes to say, which I agree with, am I closer to a three musketeers bar when I do that or further away? Now, one could say, am I closer to God or further away? We can probably suggest we're further away. But I am closer to a three musketeers bar when I am. Uh, so I, I struggle with those things, but I strive towards them. And um, I see the honesty right now. These ducks out there, they're eating the oatmeal. I put it out there, they're eating the oatmeal. They chase away uh, people they feel threatened, people, ducks, other ducks they feel threatened by. And then they, uh, they, may even, they may even get aggressive. Then they go floating along in the pond out here and they flap their wings and they seem, they seem to be calm. I don't know if they are or not, their heart's racing, but they seem to be able to, 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 to you know, shake their wings and move on with life. They can't get out of their genetics, the, you know, how they are, but they, they seem to me, as I'm looking at them, not to be very comfortable in their own skin. They just go along. They don't seem to be bothered. Uh, I don't know if they wonder where they're going to get their next oatmeal from or meal. So I use those as, 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 as examples for me of, you know, I strive to be more like that, the very simple things, the simple animal that I am with this complex brain with trillions of, of neurons firing and the complexities. It's quite extraordinary, but can I just be okay? Can I be okay on this journey? It's a relatively short journey. Can I be okay on this journey? Um, and the truth is the absolute doesn't, the, the word absolute or perfection doesn't scare me so much. doesn't scare me so much. I don't, I don't give it the power to scare me so much anymore. I just accept what is, and I, I think gratitude is a huge part of it too. So very lengthy answer. <laughs> Sorry about that, but thanks, Nani, for the question. Yeah, thank you, Nadia, for the question this morning. Next up, Shannon G. with your question, followed by Felicia S. Please. Good morning, everyone. Good morning, Larry. Thank you so much for your inspired sharing this morning. Um, very lovely to hear that. Uh, my question is about consistency. And in terms of a tiny bit of context, I am 70 years old. I grew up. Um, went through the 60s, as you were discussing, um, and I just emerged from that, <laughs> you know, flower child summer of love thing with an amazing hardcore hedonism that has plagued me the rest of my life. Um, I will say that food is my core addiction, absolutely, but I um, am multiply addicted, and I know a lot of us are, and I won't talk about anything else, but I, in 40 years in OA, I don't believe, and I've been told by sponsors that I have never achieved a level of complete surrender that can remove the reappearance of the efforts, you know, just the, I had, don't think I have overcome, um, it talks in the first step in our OA 12 and 12, you know, there always comes a time when the excess food looks so inviting that we're unable to resist. And that has been my downfall. You know, I am a chronic relapser. I will never give up. I love OA. I have a sponsor, I have sponsees, I do a 
boatload of service work, but there is always a moment that I'm very afraid of where I will have a strange mental blank spot and just say, heroin, jelly beans, come on. You know, I'm cavalier about it. And I need that. I wish if I could have it surgically removed, I would. So what do you do to um, nurture this, the type of consistency that will sustain you when you feel like you're going to die if you don't get that food in your mouth. Thank you very much. I appreciate you greatly. Um, It's beautiful here in Colorado, and I think I'm going to go feed some ducks myself today. I'll pass. (laughs) That's what I do. I go feed the ducks, right? (laughs) Feed them something healthy. I'm not throwing jelly beans out there, that's for sure. (laughs) But I'm right there with you. I'm right there with you. yeah, so you spoke about the consistency, you know, by con- you know, if we consistently practice and reinforce a positive habit over time, okay, um, it eventually becomes automatic. It just does. Um, you and I are not unique in that it does for everyone else, but not for us. You know, so a lot of it for me uh, comes with uh, trust and faith. Um, I need a God, I need a higher power big enough. Uh, sometimes, I, you know, that, that God notion can become small and limiting, but it needs to be uh, infinite, and, 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 and I need to, to constantly uh, think about this, this, this omnipotent, infinite higher power that is capable of all things. I've got to start with that premise. Otherwise, I can get really, my world can get really small. So, for example, um, um, you mentioned about the food, and that's so common with us. I, I, you know, where we think, I just don't think it's possible. I, I do all these different things, but it just still, it continues to call after me. You might just be surprised. Talked to a woman 30 years in OA, uh, a number of years ago, and she, she described just what you did. And she walked around in fear, at least, you know, you're willing to be vulnerable and, and admit what many of us think about this. But, but she said, I just can't because I'm, you know, I'm at a reasonable weight. And, and I just, all these friends I've made and in my smaller world, I can't even come to them. And I, I just don't feel that I can and tell them, really unmask and really tell them what's going on. And, um, and that takes a tremendous amount of courage to face that fear and walk through that fire of rejection, potential rejection and vulnerability. Um, but I would say that that's almost what it takes in building these habits as a process of, of, you know, we take the actions first. I'm not even just speaking of the steps in particular. I'm sure you've worked the steps many times. But, um, you know, whatever it is, is because when we put that food down, we suffer. It's the only, as I've mentioned with the ho-hos, that's the only thing that really brought that world into technicolor life for me. So I understand the pull that it has on us at certain times, unpredictable times sometimes, you know. And, and um, so what I would say is building the consistency is, um, is reevaluating your, your trust in this process 
and maybe being, you know, willing to do some things that you haven't been willing to do before, you know, really getting down and, 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 and really peeling back some of the layers of the onion here to, to take a look at some things, some of the barriers that keep us from this. Because you're, you know what, you are a daughter, in my mind, you're a daughter of a living creator. You are a daughter of God. You are worthy of this recovery. It is possible for you. You could not convince me otherwise. I don't care what experiences you've had. I've seen too much, too many people that were beyond, seemingly beyond hope that have experienced incredible, miraculous transformation. You're next. You're next on that level. So um, I'm sure that if you're willing to cooperate, you're not a bad person who just, you know, you're, when I look at myself, I, I've got good traits, bad traits, but I, but I was more than worthy. I've come to have faith that I was more than worthy of recovery, more than worthy of recovery and intimacy and relationships and, you know, all this stuff. So I hope that encourages you to just keep on and be, being willing to, you might be closer than you think. You might be closer than you think. So I hope that helps a bit. Thanks for the question. Thank you, Shannon G., for your question. Um, also, next up would be Felicia F. with a question, and then Loretta, you'll follow her. Hi, Loretta. Felicia mm-hmm. F., um, recovering compulsive overeater. Thank you so much, Larry, for your message. Um, beautiful, and thank you to all who are doing service today here. Um, so my question, Larry, is how... If you take a look at when you were starting in your recovery and where you are now, how, what are the things that you were able to do? What are the tools you used to be able to differentiate between God's voice and your self-will? Okay. That, that, that's a common question. I'm going to, I'm going to tell a story and it's a story that involves me and Mel. Mel's like, oh, Mel just perked up because it speaks to my self-will um, and how the, how God uh, continues to change me. So we're at one of the one of the uh, uh, the Vision for You conventions. If you've ever been to a Vision, if there's one in the future, one of these days, that would be great. But it takes uh, just a vast amount of resources and people, and a lot of the the, the, the pressures that come with that to put on an event of that size for, for, for upwards of a thousand or more people is immense. And they come with expectations and we're addicts, we're compulsive readers of so the food and the this and the that and what, what they expect and all that. I can't even imagine. You know what would be a really, really bad job for me? Put me in charge of that. <laughs> oh, my God, that would be terrible. There's certain people. And Mel is one of them, in my opinion, you know, and there's others that just have an extraordinary ability to bring that all together. So there's so many little details. There I was, Mr. Big Shot, right, that I can sometimes feel. And God sets me in that place, but thank you, God, for that. But there's so many little details, and we want to do things and all that. And I remember at some point, um, you know, and I, and Mel even said, just like, he doesn't say no. Well, there, this time I said no. And it was something, it was, she might not even remember it, but I do. 
it stuck with me because it was a learning thing for me. We, I agree. Now what can I do? Or this and that. Okay, well, here you go. Roll up your sleeves. And, you know, we need help with uh, ironing out these things to put on the tables and all that. I mean, we want to make things nice and we want to, you know, there's so many details that comes with this. And to me, it's like, oh, well, in my mind, that's what's going on in my mind. Well, not that I was, too, I, I, by the way, I said yes. But then, right, then all of a sudden, you know, I'm walking to the lobby and this one wants to talk or that one wants to talk. And don't you know that I've got to, you know, save the world. Larry, you're a little grain of sand. I'm not diminishing my importance to God. I'm just saying, don't take yourself too seriously. So Mel might not remember, but she reached out and, and said, oh, you know, yeah, we need to, you're coming down to do that. And, she, and Mel, you know, I'm, I'm trying to, you know, I'm trying to, not worried about ironing things. And, you know, I got all uppity. As I say, she probably doesn't even think about it, but I do. And, 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 and you know what? What I learned in sharing that experience with vulnerability is that lots of things is that, you know what? If we're going to build these habits and we're going to build this process and we're going to build this relationship with, with our higher power, it comes in all sorts of different forms and, and so forth and doing things and having humility to do things and not taking ourselves too seriously. And, and I know I'm not answering your question perhaps directly, but I'm answering in the way that comes to me. So how did God change me? He continues to change me. He, I believe God orchestrates those things. Am I crazy? Maybe, some would say. I don't think so. It's a lesson I need to learn. It's a lesson I needed to learn. You know, well, how did that story end? I didn't, I didn't uh, iron out those, uh, those, those, those table, um, what do you call them, the, the covers and all that stuff. But, but I'll tell you what, I, I, I felt bad about myself because I, God put in my heart, here's recovery, God put in my heart, you, uh, let's, uh, you know, you're getting a little big for your britches there, Buster Brown. A little bit for your britches. You're taking a little tone here. A little more recovery. That was a message. I, so th these are the types of ways. I want to be specific in that God, God takes me where I'm at, loves me where I'm at, but also like a father with my daughter is never going to be like, I reject you, I'm done with you. You know, but we'll give you some discipline, some teaching from love. And that's what I get from, from God. So I hope that story uh, sort of exemplifies a little bit how God continues to change me. And from the beginning, yes, um, I'm not the same man that I was, but I think he has so much more planned whatever time I've left. He's so much more planned for me to be, strive towards what God, the man that God wants me to be. So I hope that helps, that little story. Sorry, Mel, had to give it away. <laughs> Thank you, Felicia S., for your question this morning. Next up with a question is Loretta H. Loretta H. Star one for your question. Good morning, Melody, and good morning, Larry. I see the rainbow in your story. Oh, my God, God's sake. Loretta H., recovered in North Carolina. My question is, um, as, and I really do believe this, I can't always internalize it, especially as you talked about worldly clamors. 
how, and I know there's no perfection, only connection, but how do you, as, and we all are, as a trust fund recipient with step three, actually embrace that so that you can walk your talk? Because I say that I am, but many times I don't believe I am. So how do you go about embracing the true nature of being in step three and, and doing the steps but working towards that just total, total surrender. So that's my question. I hope it makes sense. Yeah, well, no, I think it does, Loretta. Thanks for the question. It does. Um, I don't know if my answer will be helpful or not, but um, so um, – yeah, we hear surrender. It's a it's a concept. It's a it's a thing born of action, for sure. We we kind of know it when we experience it. Yet describing just what you do with you know with other to others is is other than working the steps. We hear that you know again and again, over and again. It's like yeah, I work the steps. I work the steps. I get it. I get it. But um, I don't always get the feeling. Um, that comes with that. So I, I, with regard to step three, which I take every day, I, mean, I know we have an affirmative declaration. I call it more of an affirmative declaration than a, than a prayer, um, although it certainly sounds a lot like a prayer. But I say that because it doesn't end in amen, so be it, you know, but, but that's, that's one of the technical things. But, but it is an affirmative declaration to move on, move on with the humanness of life, move on with the, with the actions. With the you know, and and so that prayer, and the idea, it can sound so complex sometimes. Turn our will and our thought and our actions and our thinking, and we get all sorts of caught up in it. But really, to me, I think over time, the steps begin to slow down. I don't mean taking them slows down, but it's it's you know my mind quiets a bit, and I I see these steps in the simplicity in which they were intended. And so step three, from all that I gather and have experienced is that surrender is just an affirmative declaration that I take every day that God, you have me. You own my heart. I'm going to get, I'm going to get involved in all sorts of, uh, I don't know much Yiddish, but what is it, Harlem, Michigan? You know, I'm going to get, I'm going to get involved in all sorts of craziness. And, um, um, but I am affirming I am affirming to you, God, that the way in which I'm going to turn my will and my life over to your care, surrender today, moment by moment, is through the process of the steps. So the process, it's not like, I'm. what do you do, Larry? Do you work? Do you have a life? What are you taking the steps? No, I don't see them that way in its complexity anymore. I did in the beginning. They've become habitual. There's become muscle and mental memory imbued in each of the steps that I take, if that makes any sense, Loretta, I'm sure it does, so that I don't seek perfection, you know, like a perfect surrender. Does that exist for anyone? I don't know. But for me, no, because when I walk out the door and I start my car and it's like, holy smokes, I, I left the lights on. What? My car's not starting? Or someone calls, cuts me off on the road, or a, a sponsee picks up the food again, or all this. I don't. There's so much 
that I don't have control over, but God does. God does. So I think what I do is I have built, with God's grace and God's handiwork, built up habits that I go back to again and again from calling my sponsor most mornings, almost every morning, or talk at some point. It's not a therapeutic thing. It's, 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 it's a demonstration. It's a demonstration of my commitment and his. That's all it is. Let's not make it out more than it is. And through that, a friendship develops and a trust develops. And when I develop that with him, can I then develop, develop that with my, my God? Becomes easier. Becomes easier for sure. So that's, I don't want to go on and on and on because people are hanging up. Uh, but, but that's pretty much what I would say with regard to that, Loretta. I hope that that's helpful. Thank you very much, Loretta, for your question. And that would be the last question that we have time for this morning, Larry. But I'm going to assure folks that we'll get your contact information. For, so for those that are remaining in lineup here and um, those that have questions that didn't get in the lineup, please grab up that contact information. But if you miss it, get a hold of me, and I'll be sure to get that into your hands so that you can have a private conversation later with your question. Thanks again. <clears throat> Pardon me. Larry, you've given so much of yourself this morning. and. As always, we're grateful, and this is one of those other beautiful treasures that will be stored in the archives on our website. So be sure and, and grab that, too. You offered so much. So let's close this meeting this morning, this formal recorded piece, piece of our meeting, by reading from the big book on page 164. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and your fellow. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you 